K-A-L-W. You're listening to Uncuffed, recorded and produced by people in California prisons. We're all here at Solano State Prison. I got some of my guys here. We're about to listen to a story called Die Twice. But before we get into that, I'm BF Timms. Let's everybody introduce yourselves. All right, I'm Sia Villa. I'm Orlando Hassan Hassan Johnson. And I'm Maito Guzman. So look, I've actually heard this story before, but it's been over a year. One of the things that I'm going to ask, based on what I vaguely remember, is have any of you guys ever had what you would consider to be a near-death experience? Now, when you say near death, do you mean like I thought I was going to die or like I actually blacked out and like people were like, I thought you were dead. Well, I don't know. I don't mean, you know, if you were getting that <laughs> swoop, that's not necessarily a near death experience. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Asan? I'm thinking about it and I have to say no. I've been in accidents, car accidents and close to near riots where, you know, but maybe I was too young. It happened too fast. But I didn't. I didn't feel like I was gonna. I didn't think about death, and it didn't feel like a near death experience. Hey, hey Orlando, the, your, your car accident. Were you like in critical condition? No, no, no. It wasn't. It was just what I mean by like at the moment of like wrecking the car, actual car. I wasn't in the hospital after the fact. Well, let's get with the real question. Were you afraid? Um. Yeah, I'm sure I've been afraid before. I've been afraid a little. Yeah. Yeah. For but you not long, it, but no, no. Well, but it was short. You know, it was like for a few seconds. So, it it wasn't long enough for it to be memorable enough. The afraid part, the the part to where I where I can remember feeling like I was near death. Yeah. Chime in, bro. I can remember there was a time when things were real rough in the early to mid '80s, and there was a time where you drove up to a prison and you weren't supposed to be there. You had to do what you had to do, you yeah. know, to survive. Yeah. So there were times where we had to get them up and, you know, do what you had to do. And I've been in that situation a few times. Well, a few times I came up short, you know, where you think that you're invincible, you know, you're young, mm -hmm. you're cocky. And I'll tell you, when you get a piece of steel ran through you, it Ooh. humbles you. You know, so I could imagine yeah. so that <laughs> happened much. to me once. Yeah, see, I haven't had that happen. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I that mean. happened to me once where um, I got into a little brawl with this guy. What area of the body was it? It went all the way through the liver, oh. came out through the back. But um, yeah, it was it was a time where um, a lot of people were arrogant. You know, we thought we were invincible because here we are. It's not like nowadays where you get hit, you get socked up, and they take you to another institution. No, back then, they sew you back up and you go right back to the main line, you know, because a lot of us did that because we don't want to show no fear because this is our life. Hence you the have name, to, like Gladiator School. Yeah. I'm well, sure well a lot of don't, don't, don't extend on that. I want to know about the, you know, the near death part of it. Yeah. So, so this is what happened. So they're wheeling me into the hospital and the pain that you feel or I felt was like a numb pain, like when you're getting socked. So it was a constant throbbing around my area, around the abdomen, around the liver. So I knew it was real bad. My T-shirt was cut and my T-shirt was still soaking up with blood. So I knew it was kind of bad. So here we are. I haven't talked to my family and there's a chance that I could die because I know the piece went in 
from the, throughout my abdomen. I know I got hit in the back, so I'm thinking it's kind of critical. So I asked the doctor, how bad is it? He goes, well, look, we need to do surgery on you right now or are you going to die? So I said, well, I want to use the phone first to call my family, let them know what's going on. And I said, you don't, under, you don't understand the severity of this. You're bleeding internally. You know, we need to operate on you now. So yeah, so I refused the operation until I could get to a phone. So the doctor talked to the officer who was there with me and said, look, if we don't get this guy in the operating table, he's going to die. So you need to talk to him. So the guard talked to me, look, man, this is it. You may have only a few minutes left. What do you want to do? So I thought about it and I thought about my family and everything. I said, okay, well, you know what? Go ahead, do the operation. So they wheeled me into the operating room and I don't know if I'm going to come out of this alive or not, but I know I did you know, everything I was supposed to do. I did everything right. Back you, then- Were you afraid? No, I wasn't afraid because- Why not? Well, because I thought I was gonna be dead at 23. And here I am, 25. So you I know. outlived myself oh. by two years. So the phone option was off the table <laughs> yeah. when you talked to the officer. Yeah, uh, so that wasn't that wasn't a thing. I, you know, I figured, okay, so maybe I started rationalizing. Well, maybe I don't wanna talk to my family in this condition. Maybe I will say something okay. that I shouldn't say, or maybe they won't remember me the way they want to remember me if they hear me saying I'm going to die. You actually had oh, all yeah. thoughts at that time. Yeah, because here I am in the waiting room. <laughs> I mean, in, in the middle of the hospital, and the operating room is so many feet away. So I'm starting to contemplate, because they left me alone, you know, to, wow. to think about what I wanted to do. Well, I was going to say I haven't had no near-death experience myself. Okay. Um, I mean, I've been through things, but nothing severe to the point that I sensed that I was close to death. Well, hell, and after hearing just now, I wasn't well, even going to talk about my little story where I got stabbed in the finger <laughs> with, a, um, <laughs> with a pencil. I still got a piece yeah, of graphite yeah. and a piece of wood in my finger. Yeah, it, got, look, it was so insignificant, I think I picked the wrong finger to show you guys. <laughs> I got one of those in the yeah, There it is there. It's green right there. Yeah. But look, so what we're going to do now is we're going to listen to the story uh, Died Twice by Uncuffed producer Damon Cook as he interviewed Wilbur Stoneham in the spring of 2019. Wilbur Stoneham has been incarcerated since 1976. During a time when prisons were especially dangerous, the guards were particularly unpleasant. And Stoneham, well, he was one of their targets. He had a terrible relationship with the Watchers, which continued for over 40 years, until the day he died. It's my understanding you had a heart attack. Yes, I had a, a, a cardiac arrest, uh, but there's nothing wrong with my heart. What I had was what you call uh, pulmonary uh, embolism, right? And what that is is that I had a blood clot that materialized from somewhere in my body, my lower legs, thighs, whatever. I went through my lungs, right, and got trapped and clogged up my major artery to the heart. Were you ever pronounced dead? Twice. Um, I died, I died uh, out there on that breezeway, and I died uh, once more in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, you know? I was brought back. I was brought back to life by, uh, by the nurses, 
right, which was the first responders and stuff, and uh, the prison guards. Uh, they brought me back. They uh, did CPR, in particular, uh, Officer Handy, Officer Smith. So there's some there's some irony there. You came uh, to prison. You said to me earlier, hey, when I came to prison, there was a difference, and it was us against them. Right. And now here we are coming full circle 40 years, and now the prison guard is now... Saving my life. Right. It's even more bigger irony, right? Uh, the guy Medina used to be on uh, what you call, we call him the goon squad, right? He used to chase me around the prison and stuff all the time, right? Because I was involved in the, the criminal activity of the prison, right? And the same guy that be chasing me all the time uh, was the uh, same guy that was over there pumping life doing CPR into my uh, into my body, right? Officer Handy, right? The last 115 that I received in prison, Officer Handy is the guy that gave it to me. But here he is pumping life into my body. And 115, you mean the disciplinary infraction, the, disciplinary, the rules violation yeah, report. the rules violation. Sure. 115 is a rule violation report, right? I don't even remember the day, right? But what I do uh, remember, right, is uh, that uh, I didn't see no white lights, right? Because everybody been asking me, you see any white lights? I didn't see no white lights, <laughs> right? I, didn't, I wasn't hovering above nobody, you know, up in the air and all that other stuff, you know? I didn't get to talk to nobody, you know, or right. anything like that because there were some people that I needed to talk to, but they weren't there, <laughs> right? Right. I didn't get to holler, right? So, but anyway... One of the things that I really take pride in, I didn't feel no damn heat either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you said it was no lights and it was no heat. I, I didn't feel no heat. <laughs> so that's a good sign. Right, huh? right, right. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. So, you know, but anyway, man, even though Officer Handy was the last man to give me uh, a 115, right, destroyed my chances of going home. <laughs> right. But, you know, all that's on me because if I wasn't dirty, uh, right. There's the growth right there. Yeah. See that? You just yeah. took ownership right there. Right. I right. like that. Right. Because you said, hey, it's yeah. on me. Yeah. But they're yeah. thinking of the man 40 right. years ago, yeah. it's on them. Right. But now, right. but see, I right. like that. So I saw Mr. Handy when I got out, you know, of the infirmary. I go right up there to him. I said, man, give me some depth. Why you see me and everybody out here looking? Man, the hell with these people out here looking, man. Right? I don't care what the perception of this yard is or what these people are thinking about, right? Whatever convict code uh, 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 that prevents me from recognizing the human in you because you recognize the human in me because you saved the human inside of me. So, mm. uh, my, uh, and the same thing with Medina. I smile when I see him. This thing has come full circle for you. Yes, it yes, yes, it has. As an officer, don't have to like me. You don't have to like me at all. Years ago, officers weren't trained in CPR. They would just make the call and you die right there. Right? So I am gonna try to change my life. Be the grandfather that I'm supposed to be with my grandchildren, and be the father that I'm supposed to be with my children. I can't blame my wife, my girlfriend. Right. I can't blame any of them things. It's all about it's all about me. And so what I was doing, I was just seeing a wasted life. And and and, and, I, and I, I'm reclaiming my name. I'm reclaiming my name because I'm reclaiming 
that person that I was before uh, 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 the drug abuse, before the crime, right? Before the dysfunctional lifestyle. So I'm reclaiming my name. The name that's on my birth certificate is W. I-L-B-E-R-T, not W-I-L-B-U-R. That was just the story that was produced by Damon Cook, and he interviewed Wilbert Stoneham. I want to know from all you guys, if you were dying, or if you thought you were dying, would you be okay with the correctional officer saving your life? It wouldn't matter. I mean, of course I'd be okay with it. I wouldn't want to die. I'm glad to be able to say that I wouldn't be that caught up at that time. You know what I mean? Because I'd be wrapped up in my, I'm like, hey, Bro, that's I'm in trouble. You know, physically, no, I mean, I would know physically I'm in trouble. Uh, I would, you know, like with, uh, like with Wilbur, you know, if I'm feeling that, hey, I could be circling the drain here or if I'm, you know, in pain or something. You know, if I got blood shooting out of somewhere, I'm, you know, go ahead and admin administer aid. I'm not gonna be like, hey, get away from me. You know what I mean? You know? I mean, I got, a, I got, a, I got a thought, but I want to go after you guys. Yeah, I would say it depends on how old you are, because your frame of mind when you're involved in prison and what's going on behind the walls, there's a certain attitude you have towards these guards, and I would say that. Maybe like when this happened uh, to me back in the, in the mid 80s, when this happened, I don't want no cop touching me. This is my frame of mind. I did what I did. You know, I did the dirt. So uh, let's put this in God's hands. You See, know, maybe if I, I was seen, where you're coming if from, I was seen a I light want... at the end of the tunnel and he says, hey, you know, um, your parents don't want you to die. Then maybe if somebody talked to you like that and started rationalizing stuff, maybe maybe the thoughts will be different. But. But to come off the yard and um, with this, everything going on, is like, you know what the hell with this? I'm done. I'm good. What Go ahead, I, do what you got to do. What I think know? is amazing is that that light at the end of the tunnel, I think for him, was what he felt afterward. He mentions he mentions that, that he's an older man. And he mentions that at one time, the staff had a different mentality, too. And I know that for myself... I probably would reflect on it later. Like, like I would see him in a different light. Like, damn, you know what? Everybody hates this dude. But would you be okay with it? It's simple for me. For me, it's real simple. If I wanted to live, it has nothing to do with age. But if I wanted to live, I wouldn't care who saved my life, right? It could be a cop, the worst cop. It could be someone, the worst of the worst. But guess what? I'll tell them thank you at the appropriate time. But we are not becoming friends. Yeah. I'm not giving you a yeah. dap like Stoneham. Was giving them a dap. I'm not giving you a dap. And that's not because of prison optics. I'm not giving you a dap because I still don't like you. But I understand what, what Stoneham was saying when he said, well, you saved the humanity in me. I thought that was profound. Mm -hmm. But right now, at this point in my life, I'm not big enough. I'm very evolved on so many levels. But I'm not big enough and I'm not evolved enough to pretend that this officer who has been an antagonist to either myself or to other men in blue, that I'm going to be okay with them as a person. See, now, now that I could see maybe like if like how he said it, it affected his perspective on life, affected his humanity. Right. Now, if the officer changed 
like all of a sudden stop messing with people uh there's no we can't assume that that's the case because he might save your life today and then tomorrow you come out of your building and you're like wow he's still like uncool he gave a description of somebody doing their job yeah maybe a little overzealous but he gave a description of somebody doing yeah. their job. Especially like, the man, one who rolled him up with yeah. the 150. And that's the chain reaction. Chase me all around the yard. Yeah, right, right. And he's and, doing and his you job. Really you, know. can't, you really can't be mad for somebody doing that. Back to my, uh, my thought earlier about uh, the white light. As far as how Wilbur described it, he was grateful that he was able to have a different outlook, like as a human being to human being. So for me, if that happened like that for me, I'd be like, well... That was my white light. For me, I've thought on that in in a sense, like earlier when I said I have never had a near-death experience, you know, I now I see that in a sense, I believe also in having a mental, like you can have a near-death experience mentally and emotionally, and that compelled you to change your perspective on things, or that compelled you to change your attitude about something, or even your whole entire life. And it could be for growth, or it could be for some people even for bitterness. You know, they could it could it could it could become a different type of thing. And uh, for me, I think that uh, when we die, because I thought on that, and I think that the purpose in life, I think that a lot of times when we're living, because none of us were born with an instruction manual told, okay, this is what you should contribute. This is your gift. But over the years, for myself, I find myself in troubles. Even when I'm trying to do the right thing, sometimes I have my setbacks. But I've concluded that a lot of the times I'm misusing my gift, my talent. And when I'm misusing it, it's like I keep getting knocked down because if, okay, for some people, when they succeed, it just flows naturally. I feel like those people, they're in, they're in tune with what they're supposed to be doing. And we're not all meant to be the good guy. We're not all meant to be the good guy. No Som comment. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> no, I'm going to keep it real because sometimes you may do something, in my opinion, that it was part of your growing process. Like you wouldn't have learned a different way. I get it. You know, or maybe somebody else. You Why changed. are you pointing at me, bro? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or maybe somebody else, you know, whatever process you went through, it changed their life for the greater good. And then maybe you'll look back down the road and look back and be like, you know what? I create. I created tough lessons for myself, mm. but now I understand. So, like in this conversation right here, I'm I'm looking at it like, you know what? Maybe I have have had a near death experience. Just it, maybe for me, it wasn't a piece of metal going through me or a bullet. <laughs> you know what? You know? That 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 actually makes a lot of sense. Overall, I think uh, it might be healthy to have a near death experience for some of us because some of us get caught up in our day to day and forget how precious life is. All right. So that's how we do it here at Solano State Prison. You can find Uncuffed on the radio at KALW 91.7 at weareuncuffed.org. Or you can subscribe, which we hope you'll do, to Uncuffed in any podcast player. Join our community on social media by following We are uncuffed. But we want to also give thanks to the team at KLW Public Radio. Nina Gensler Debs, Angela Johnston, Sonia Paul, James Rollins, Andrew Stelzer, 
Ben Trefney, Eli Wirtshafter, and our fantastic sound designer, Eric Maserati E. Abercrombie. Our theme music is by David Jossie. And thanks to the staff at Solano who make this possible. Mr. McCann, the man with the plan, Principal Nessie, Miss Rice, and Lieutenant Spate who approved this episode. We fact-checked everything to the best of our ability. Uncuffed gets support from the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. I am Brian Thames, BF Thames. We are grateful for your time. Thank you.